Who are the biggest winners and the biggest losers from the past weekend in both college football and the NFL? Find out ahead on this special episode of Home Field Advantage. Welcome in to another episode of Home Field Advantage. I hope you're having a great week or weekend. My name is Will Highland. It's not really the weekend anymore, so I can't really say that. But anyway, I hope you all are having a great start to your Monday, Monday afternoon, however, wherever you're listening. You're tuning in on Facebook Live. Thanks for joining us there. Uh, Starting something new. We're going to be doing some YouTube Live, some Facebook Live, all that jazz here um, as we continue uh, throughout the football season and into the winter so we have plenty of stuff going on there. But we also had plenty of action over the weekend here in both college football and the NFL. I'm interested to see how each week changes um, and our perceptions of the top teams in both respective uh, avenues of football changes from week to week. Because it seems like there's an upset in both every weekend, there's teams that are just juggernauts, um, and there's some really exciting offensive play going on in both college football and the NFL. So there's definitely some similarities, um, but we're going to start with the college game, um, and we're going to do a little bit of three up, three down. So for the NFL and for college football, I'll tell you three winners, three losers from each Um, as we head into uh, week five of college football and week four of the NFL. So in the college game where we'll start, I think the first winner, um, first winner three up, um, would be Clemson. Look, Clemson going on the road, uh, playing Wake Forest. Um, Wake Forest, I believe their QB went for six touchdowns and over 350 yards. Um, It was an offensive game. Uh, people, a lot of people were high on Wake Forest going into this game. Obviously, we know who Clemson is being the fifth best team in the nation. Clemson and all the history that they have in Dabo and all that stuff. We knew that uh, it wasn't going to be easy for either side um, in, terms of, in terms of that road game at Wake. Uh, but for Clemson to come out with the victory, I think that's their best victory of the year so far. Um, playing a close geographic opponent on the road, hostile environment, offensive game coming out on top. So I say Clemson is my first winner of the weekend for college football. My second winner of the weekend is Texas Tech. All right, Texas Tech hosts the Longhorns in Lubbock. All right, you got the battle within Texas uh, amongst those two teams. Uh, There's been some history in that fixture as it pertains to uh, Texas Tech having success against Texas at home uh, in that showed uh, to continue on Saturday. Texas Tech coming out with a huge win uh, over uh, the Longhorns, 37-34. to 34. I don't think Texas Tech really has the firepower per se to continue a march through the Big 12 and find themselves as Big 12 champions. Um, despite what happened with Oklahoma, what's going on with Oklahoma State, Kansas looks good. Um, it, it could be it could be a tough road still ahead for the Red Raiders. But beating Texas at home, now Texas has two losses 
uh, handing it to your in-state rival. Gotta love that. And so Texas Tech gets my number two uh, winner of the weekend. My third winner of the weekend is the Tennessee Volunteers. Look, they had lost, what, 16 out of 17 against the Florida Gators. They're hosting uh, Anthony Richardson, Billy Napier, and company at home in Knoxville. And they don't look great in the first half. Not going to lie. They had us in the first half, not going to lie. And uh, the Gators were basically doing whatever they wanted to do offensively. That continued throughout the game. Tennessee, though, Hendon Hooker, you know, he's out here. You know, he's balling more than uh, balling out more than a ping pong factory. Okay. Uh, Hendon Hooker, you know, three total touchdowns over 340 yards passing. Uh, just was a complete uh, wizard on the field for the Volunteers. So he was the difference in the second half for Tennessee. Um, but that Tennessee defense in the first half was not great. And it actually in my opinion, took that 99-yard drive by the Tennessee offense to really turn the game around for the Volunteers because they didn't look, they didn't look that, that strong. It looked like Florida was going to come in there and punch them around. And Florida hung, hung tight. I mean, Napier was not afraid to go for it on fourth down. I think they were 5 of 6 on fourth down. Later on in the game, uh, Florida fumbled in the red zone, which really cost them because I think – had they not fumbled, even if they just got three there, um, they have a real opportunity to win that game, of course, because what ends up happening is they're down 17. They get a touchdown. They miss a two-point conversion. Um, and then they get an, get a quick stop, get another touchdown, miss again, and then get the onside kick and have a chance at a Hail Mary to win. So the Vols escaped. Uh, that home game against the Gators with a close victory, um, Florida covered. That was the one college football pick I had from Friday that hit. Is that Florida was going to cover. But ultimately, you look at that Tennessee team, look at what Josh Heupel's doing down there and where they stand in the SEC East. It's them, it's Kentucky, and obviously we know that Georgia's on top. So I think, I think Tennessee's can still make some noise. They have a hell of a schedule coming up. Um, they're playing... Uh, LSU on the road after their bye. I think then they got Bama, they got Kentucky, they got Georgia. I mean, those are all top 10 teams. Um, Or except for LSU, those are all top 10 teams. Um, And then even LSU, I mean, you're going to Baton Rouge, that environment against that team. It's going to be very similar to what Florida faced going into uh, Knoxville on Saturday. Um, But by and large, I like Tennessee. I like Clemson. I like Texas Tech. Those are the teams that came out. They took care of business against rivals against close geographic rivals, against conference rivals, um, in some pretty tight games. So I, I, I think those three teams are what you look at as being the, uh, being the winners of the weekend. Now the losers of the weekend, sticking in the state of Tennessee a little bit, but heading a little bit west to Murfreesboro, Middle Tennessee State. Now I know the game wasn't played at home. They went down to Miami. They went down to Coral Gables. Now Mario Cristobal... Uh, all the players down there in Miami, they're still thinking a lot about some of their losses, right? I, I think that was in their head um, this this season. I don't think they were fully over their loss last week. They got a little bit confused about who was coming to town. And uh, the the Middle Tennessee State team just took it to them. I mean, that was a, that was a game that Miami had to win. 
Miami had to win that game if they wanted to stay up there with Clemson, with NC State, with some of the other teams in the ACC that are going to be making some noise. I mean, hell, even Syracuse. So I think for Miami, losing that game at home to a team, let's face it, they got to beat teams like Middle Tennessee. Now, I know Middle Tennessee had actually beat the Hurricanes two out of the last three times, um, but if you're Miami and you want to be a big-time program again, you want to be the Miami that we saw 20 years ago when I was a kid, you got to start winning some of these games that you have to win. And I, I, I still like Cristobal as a coach. I think they're going to be fine. Um, but you cannot afford to lose a home game uh, to a group of five school like that. All right, Oklahoma. They're my second loser of the weekend. They lose uh, at home uh, to... Oh, who did they lose to? Oh, it's jumping. I forget. I forget who they who they lost to. Uh, crap! I need to look that up. I didn't have it in my notes. But you know, Oklahoma. That's a team that okay. We you lose Lincoln Riley um, to USC. He moves on. Um, they still have some good talent there. They're playing in a Big Twelve. We know they're moving over to the. Uh, SEC soon, um, but they, they host Kansas State. That's who it was. So they host Kansas State, and uh, they get beat 41-25. I mean, Kansas State walked in there. They now find themselves ranked, and you know they, they, push, they pushed Oklahoma around. And so if you're Oklahoma, it's the same kind of scenario as Miami. You want to still be considered a top-tier college football program? You're playing a team at home? I mean, I know Kansas State's no slouch, but... Again, these are the kind of games you have to win if you want to be considered a top-tier college football program again. Um, and, and I think the Sooners could still find their way into a situation where you know, they could make the Big 12 championship game. I'm not completely selling out the, uh, the Sooners in any way, shape, or form. Um, and look, you got to give respect to Kansas State. I don't even know if they're the best football team in Kansas right now, um, if you factor in what the Jayhawks are doing. Uh, but, but for Kansas State to get ranked over their in-state rival, uh, Kansas, but f- for, for, those, for those over in Manhattan to get a win on the road in Norman, you got to give respect there. But also, let's just be real. If you're a Sooner fan, you're waking up and the roses don't smell so good in Oklahoma um, when you're looking around and you see Kansas State getting some dubs. You see uh, Kansas Jayhawks beating Duke. You've got the Red Raiders with a big win over Texas, right? And suddenly you're looking around and um, it's not as straightforward as one may have uh, thought in terms of who's going to be coming out on top in that conference. All right, my third loser of the week, I just got to say this, um, Stephen F. Austin beat Warner College 98 to nothing. So, 98 to nothing. I don't know if I've ever seen a football score that lopsided. Now, occasionally we'll see an SEC school like, I don't know, Bama, Georgia, Ole Miss, somebody like that, go play some small, you know, FCS school in the South somewhere uh, that no one really cares about. And you'll see them, you know, drop up 
you know, 60, 70 burger um, on a team and even the other team will still score maybe two touchdowns. You you might see like a 55 to 14 or a 63 to 10 sort of game. And, you know, those are commonplace in college football. But for Stephen F. Austin, which, again, of all the football schools in Texas, I don't know if I would put Stephen F. Austin as like one of the big powerhouses, you know, you look around, you got SMU, Houston, Baylor, TCU, Texas, Texas State, um, Texas Tech, Texas A&M. I mean, and then suddenly <laughs> you got Stephen F. Austin beating Warner. Now, I don't know where in the country Warner College is, uh, but I know wherever it was, that was a long bus ride home. You lose 98 to nothing. It was 35 nothing after the first quarter. Um and what's crazy is that Warner only punted three times. So <laughs> they only punted three times, and I think they only turned the ball over four times. So that's seven possessions that they gave up. Obviously, they didn't score at all, but you had to think that Stephen F. Austin to score five touchdowns in the first quarter, even if they got the ball to begin the half, to begin the first half. You go one, okay, let's say there's a turnover, that's two. Then you go three, four, five. So, so how how did all these possessions occur? You know, so I'm, I'm a little perplexed about that score. What probably happened is there had to have been some kick returns or punt returns or something in that in that game. I didn't look too closely at the box to- score, but if you're Warner College and you you lose ninety eight to nothing, um, you're you're a loser. Uh, you're the you're the third loser of the weekend. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and honestly, there's going to be a big discussion about sportsmanship and whatnot as it pertains to this, uh, this affair. But it's kind of a double-edged sword. Like, I, I saw that I think four or five different quarterbacks got snaps for, for Stephen F. Austin. And I think about nine or ten running backs got snaps and maybe like 12 or 14 receivers uh, received the ball. So it's not like... Stephen F. Austin was keeping their starters out there up 50 to nothing in the second quarter. Um, I, that's from what, I, from what I've seen. Again, I didn't look at the box score too closely uh, beyond that, but it's not like they kept their starters in there. So maybe, just maybe, uh, there's a little bit more to the story than what we've seen there. But sorry, Warner, you lose 98 to nothing, you're on my loser list. Sorry, I hate to break it to you. All right, moving over to the NFL here. Speaking of loser lists, the Indianapolis Colts were going to quickly find their way onto my loser lists if they started 0-3. Now, I know they were out there playing the Chiefs. I know Mahomes is a you know, magician out there, but uh, the Colts couldn't afford to start 0-3. Not with the amount of pressure that's on them in a bad division. And, excuse me, with the kind of talent they have on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. You know, you have Michael Pittman back from injury. Jonathan Taylor, we know he's a superstar. Matt Ryan, definitely an upgrade over Carson Wentz. And then on that defensive side of the ball, they got they got athletes everywhere. They got speed everywhere. So for them to have been in danger of losing 0-3, they would have wound up on my loser list. However, they beat the Chiefs at home. The Chiefs 
I know they're still Kansas City, but there's just something about them this year. I'm not quite sure. I still think they're going to somehow win the conference. But there's just this little, like, inkling of just, like, tightness. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're starting to feel some of the pressure that, like, maybe the Patriots even felt in, like, 2011, 12, 13, before they won their next Super Bowl is, you know, you're got the quarterback, you got the head coach, you got all these talented players on offense and defense, and you're just winding your way towards that next mountaintop, which is being champs more than once. And I think there's a little bit of leftover just sort of pressure there. And for the Colts, they actually had to channel a very similar kind of pressure in order to beat Kansas City, right? You know, playing at home, tough environment for anybody to go into is in Indianapolis. But for the Colts, even though you got that home field crowd behind you, this is this is Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid coming to town. And so I think of both teams, there's probably still more pressure on the Colts. But for the, for the Colts to come out and win a close game 2017 like they did, um, I think the Chiefs... I wouldn't put the Chiefs in my loser category. Obviously, we still know what they're capable of doing. Uh, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see how Kansas City handles the pressure this year um, with all the talent that's around in the AFC. All right, speaking of talent in the AFC, my number two winner of the weekend is the Miami Dolphins. Now look, Tua had one of the best games of his career, both college and NFL, uh, last week against the Ravens when he threw for six touchdowns. Um, but it was going to be naturally be hard for that offense to come out and replicate that against a Buffalo Bills defense that is, you know, really stout um, in, up in, the, uh, in the secondary and up front. Um, you know, but Miami, credit to them, they kept it close. They didn't let the Bills pull away. We all know that Josh Allen and the Bills – have the ability to pull away in games like this. And so they're playing at home. The Bill, It's 100 degrees outside. The Bills are coming down. And the Dolphins find a way to win that game. They survived the butt punt. Um, Morstead punted it right off his center, went out of bounds, cost them two points um, and a possession. Uh, but ultimately, I am... I am High on the Dolphins this week for being able to rise to the occasion and beat the Bills. They're doing a lot of what they used to do to the Patriots when the Patriots were at the top of the division is play spoiler. But in a way, I actually think it's more than that. I think it's quite possible that the Dolphins are one of two things. They're either a complete Super Bowl contender with Tua and all that offensive talent. Or they're completely fool's gold and they're going to run out of time because in a couple weeks... You know, they went at home against the Pats and the Bills, all right? But there's going to come a day when they're going to go to Buffalo. They're going to go to Foxborough late in the year. It's going to be 20 degrees. Um, you know, Tyree Kill's hands are going to start to get cold, right? He might have a drop, if you can even imagine that. Jalen Wall, I don't know how many warm weather, uh, excuse me, cold weather games he's played in his career. Tua doesn't really strike me as a cold weather quarterback. Um, so Miami might fly high early on in the year. Um, but 
I'm not I'm not convinced they're going to be like that team that's 12 and 2 in December. Uh, I just don't see that um even though they're playing a third place schedule. Um they're still talented. They still on my winners list. They're the best team in the AFC by record right now. Um but I'm not I'm not convinced that they're going to be there um at the end of the uh season as a top AFC team, just because the the battle of attrition in the AFC, we haven't really seen it too much through three weeks. Look, Mac Jones is hurt. We've seen uh, some dysfunction uh, in some other uh, places, like not quite sure what's going on in Tennessee and whatnot. But I think the the war of attrition will continue to build over the year and some of these AFC teams everyone's really high on right now will still probably be in the conversation but I think it's going to be a lot more even in November and December uh, than it's going to be in September and October all right and one more thing I want to say about this Dolphins game there's a lot of controversy See around what happened with Tua and his concussion, potentially. Um, he definitely looked confused. He was the most confused sea creature I've seen since, you know, Dory and Finding Nemo. Uh, he didn't look like he was all there, um, and the Dolphins certainly wanted him to finish that game. There's going to uh, the Union's doing what they have to do. They're going to look into the best interest of their player, and the team did what they wanted to do. They looked in the best interest of the team, and, and that means keeping two on the field to win the game. Um, but just keep that on the periphery there when you think about Tua long-term. Is, uh, long-term this season is, can he physically hold up? Because that's been the question about him really since his college days is uh, his physical maturity um, as it relates to the NFL. All right, now speaking of Alabama quarterbacks, my third win of the weekend is the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, Jalen Hurts, my friend pointed out, he's in the early conversation as being an NFL MVP. He's got that rare ability of both being able to move around and create plays with his legs, but also not being a quote-unquote running quarterback. You know what I mean? Like, He's a lot like, I'm not saying he's exactly like Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes, but he's like those two in that he can create plays with his legs, but he's not only a running quarterback. I think Hertz has become a better passer in the last few uh, games this season and at the end of last year than he was, you know, at the end of the 2020 season um, and in the beginning of the 2021 season. I think Hertz is improving. Now look, it helps that he's got loaded talent around him, you know, with Smith and with Brown um, and with the tight end there uh, and those fast running backs. And it looks like he's got a coaching program that's really tailored toward his strengths. Um, but he, make no mistake, is in the early conversation of being an NFL MVP because of his rare ability to get rushing yards, get passing yards. He's got good players around him. He's on a 3-0 and team. I, I thought Dallas was going to be a lot better in this division. Now, look, the, the Dak Prescott injury, we'll see what happens. But it might not be too early to say either that the Eagles are the favorites to win. Um, maybe not even just the NFC East. 
but they might be an early odds favorite to win the NFC with the way they're playing right now. Obviously, you still have to respect Brady and Rodgers and the Rams and everybody because of that experience. But I don't know. That Eagles team looks like they have a little bit of an X factor, okay? And I'm a Patriots fan. I know what a scary X factor from the Philadelphia Eagles looks like. And it, it, it appears that they have that. All right. Now heading over to my losers. Speaking of young quarterbacks, all right, Justin Herbert and the Chargers. You can't lose games to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now I looked, this isn't my older brother's Jaguars. I think Trevor Lawrence and, and Etienne and some of the offensive talent down there they have is still, um, you know, so, something that has a really high ceiling. But if you're going to be that team, right, we talk about, we just talked about this with college football. We're talking about this now with the NFL is if you want to be a team that's truly on the ascent, who is working with um, both offense and defense to improve and get better and start winning some of these games that you would have otherwise lost, it's important that you win games against inferior opponents. Now, look, Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be a pretty good, if not great, NFL quarterback. Um, if he continues to get the tools. So I'm not saying that the Jaguars are slouch, but it's no question that Herbert is further along in his development as a quarterback and that the Chargers being a borderline playoff team last year and having all the uh, investment in their talent that they had uh, and some of that talent on defense they've got, whether it's G.C. Jackson or Derwin James or anybody, that this is a game they should win. They're much further along in their development as a football program then the Jaguars are. So for them to lose that game, to me, is worrisome because now you start to look at that division, all right? And you've got the Raiders, who I'm going to get to in a second, as 0-3. You've got the Chiefs just lost, in my opinion, a game they should still win, despite the factors I talked about with the Colts. And then they lost. And so the Broncos sit there with an 11-10 to victory in one of the ugliest games I've seen all year last night. And now the Broncos gained a game on everybody. And that was a team that I'm still not too impressed with. So that division is sort of doing what everybody thought it would, which is be closely uh, competitive. But it's not like these teams are beating up on each other. They're just losing games to other opponents. And I think that... That could make the end of the season really interesting um, if you're a fan of any AFC West team. So definitely the Chargers are one of my three losers, and so are their division opponent, the Raiders. The Raiders go out there, they lose another game, right? Last week they lose to the um, they lose to the Cardinals in overtime on a on a Fumble, then they lose a really close game to the Titans yesterday, and I don't think the Titans are as good as they've been in recent years either, so I know Nashville's still a tough place to go and win, um, but I'm not convinced that Josh McDaniels <laughs> will be the answer there after what I've seen in the three games. Now, look, I was high on the Raiders. I love them on paper. You bring in McDaniels, you got uh, Derek Carr with the surrounding cast. You bring in some talent on the defensive side of the ball as well. And 
you're playing in the division that's going to be tough. And you had an opportunity yesterday with the Chiefs losing, with the Chargers losing, to gain a game. And now, again, I know it's early, but you're looking around and these games are going to matter within that division. Um, the games that all three of those teams lost to, to foes outside the division, that's going to matter. And for the Raiders to drop to 0-3, the amount of pressure, again, that's on them, much like the Colts, to take that next step as a borderline playoff team and really challenge in this crowded AFC is a um, big, big uh, factor. And so they, they, they needed to win a game like that if they wanted to, um, to really be where they're supposed to be at the end of the year. My third loser of the week, and this is probably the one I'm going to spend the most time on, uh, <laughs> it's my New England Patriots. Um, now I'm going to take a drink of water here because I'm going to, I'm going to do my best Marco Rubio impersonation, um, because I'm going to need, uh, some, I'm going to need some air in my lungs and some, uh, energy to, uh, get through what I'm about to say about my New England Patriots. So just hold on a second here. It's important to stay hydrated. The Patriots are in trouble. Now, I'm not one of these Patriots fans that has become so blinded by the fact that we were dominant for 20 years, where I think that every single loss is the end of the world. Like, for instance, if we had started one and two in the Brady era, people would have freaked out. But also... People would have understood that we got Tom, we got Bill, we'll be all right. The Patriots are in trouble, not because of their record, not because of their quarterback, not even really because of their schedule. Look, I knew the first four games were going to be hard. It was very likely that they were going to be two and two at best, most likely one and three, and at worst, oh and four. So I don't even think the Patriots are in trouble because Mac Jones sucks or the offensive coaching is horrible. Eventually, I, th- I feel like that would all work itself out. I mean, Mac Jones has got, what, 20 games of NFL experience under his belt right now? Or heading into yesterday? Is it great that he threw five interceptions in the first three games? No. Does he make an equally awful play for every amazing play that he makes? Yes. But I don't think Mac Jones is your problem. I think Mac Jones being hurt is your problem. We don't know the results of the MRI that uh, he'll have today as of the time of my recording. Um, I think it's extremely likely that he misses Sunday's game at Lambeau, which I already had chalked down as a loss anyway. So you might as well go in there and run a JV offense and just try not to get anybody else hurt, in my opinion. Um. But the the thing that scares me the most about the Patriots team is that Matt could miss more than just next week. He could miss maybe the game after, maybe some games after that. If you miss Mac for four games, I'll like, I don't you know, I know you got some games in there against the Jets, the Lions, the Bears, whatever. These are games that we had counted on winning, right? We looked at the schedule and we said, all right. At Miami, that's a loss every year, even when Brady was here. At Pittsburgh, that's a toss-up. They ended up winning that game. Again, Ravens at home, 
toss-up. Bill has actually, for some reason, had a very inconsistent um, showing defensively against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense. And, I mean, Harbaugh is one of the few coaches in the NFL who doesn't, like, completely forget how to draw up a play when he goes against Belichick. So you kind of knew that was a toss-up, and they didn't get that done yesterday. And then you kind of looked at Green Bay, and you're like, okay, that's probably going to be a loss on the road against Aaron Rodgers. Even if Brady was here, we didn't win that game in 2014. All right, so... You could kind of look at that and say, all right, the first four games are going to be tough, but you knew like the next five or six, you had a chance to make up the ground of the schedule. But if Jones is hurt for this portion of the schedule and he has to come back to a team that's, you know, fleeting, and then you've got the end of the year, which is a gauntlet of primetime road games against the Vikings, the Cardinals, and the Raiders as well as the Bills to end the year. I mean, that's four hard road games uh, in the last six weeks. If Mac doesn't come back, worst case scenario till then, I mean, the Patriots are looking at a situation where they might want to start thinking about trying to draft in the top 10, all right? And maybe not winning games at the end of the year. So that's why the Patriots are in trouble to me. It's not, and that's why they're a loser. It's not just that they lost the game and that Mac made some ugly plays and that they lost the turnover battle and that they gave up some big punt returns and that they let Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews do whatever they wanted to do on the field. It wasn't just all that. It was the fact that they lose Mac Jones to injury because now, look, I know Mac didn't have a great first three games of the season, but please explain to me how you're better off with Brian Hoyer or something named Bailey Zappi. The answer is you're not. So, again, if you're a Patriots fan, we're losers this weekend, not just because we lost the game because it was an ugly finish, but we lost our quarterback most likely for at least this next week, if not more, and who knows what shape he'll be in if if and when he returns. So that's doom. We're doomed in that regard. Now, if you want to talk about the game, look, the game, I think, started pretty well defensively, the Ravens couldn't block somebody on Instagram, all right? We were doing whatever we wanted to do to that offensive line. We were pushing them around, giving them uh, giving them fits. Dietrich Wise was like the second coming of Lawrence Taylor. I mean, we were all over the field, scrambling around, making uh, Lamar make mistakes, overthrowing guys. But we still gave up a touchdown drive, it seemed, after every single offensive score. So offensive score, we give up a score. Offenses would bounce back, we give up a score. Now, what I really liked from the game is that we executed the double score, which is we got the ball back with 30 seconds, Mac drove us down the field, made some really great passes to guys like Devontae Parker and Johnny Smith even. And next thing you know, you're in uh, you're in field goal range, you kick a field goal right before the half, you open up the half with a great touchdown drive. And you're thinking, all right, This is the kind of game where the Patriots pull away in the fourth quarter. You know, Belichick coaches sound fundamental football. They're not going to make too many mistakes. Ravens get back in the game. Defense is a little bit on its heels. Mac gives one interception. You're like, okay, we can get beyond that. Ravens score. Suddenly we're down 11. After being up seven, we're down 11. Sorry, after being up six, we're down 11. So the Ravens won a 17-0 march. All right. Mac, we get the ball back 
after the Ravens fumble, uh, get a score, and then things start to things start to come undone when our defense gets stops and then Mac throws more interceptions. And actually, I think the kill the most killer turnover. Oh boy. Well, my Red Sox sign fell down. If you're watching on Facebook. Which is quite funny because the Red Sox were eliminated yesterday. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about baseball today, but I think that was just a microcosm of uh, number one, why live sports entertainment can be fun, and number two, um, why uh, you shouldn't use duct tape to hang a sign on a door. But I guess I'm going back. <laughs> I'm going back here. Um, speaking of unexpected. Uh, in terms of events, I think the most unexpected thing was not that Mac would make a bad pick. We've seen in his young career that he makes bad mistakes. It was that he went in and would make a bad mistake and then make a great play and then make a bad mistake and then make a great play. Like, I think that that uh, that pass he made on fourth and short where he rolled out ducked out of coverage and found a wide open, um, I think, Jonu Smith or Ramondre Stevenson in the flat. I think that was the best play of his career. All right, so he makes great plays, then he makes bad mistakes, and then he makes more great plays. The only thing that made yesterday so infuriating was that Jones made a mistake. Then, he, then we get the ball back. Again, of course, after giving up points, which is what the defense seemed to do every time uh, that... Um, that we would score as they give up, they give up points. But in this case, the Pats gave up a, a interception, and then we get the ball back. And what does Jones do? Jones makes one of those plays where he rebounds and finds a wide open. I want to say Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, it was Aguilar over the middle of the field. Aguilar runs for like thirty yards, and then he fumbles. And turns the ball over. And at that point, the game was over. The game was over. That last Mac Jones pick was out of desperation. He was hurt. You could tell he was hit as he threw. Uh, that's when the injury happened. And so the most frustrating thing was that he made great plays. He made bad plays. Comes out to be a net zero, as my same friend suggested. But that's not something that you want. Um and look, you know, we can sit around and critique Mac Jones all day. Look, it's about to be 2 o'clock here on the East Coast. You know from 2 to 6 on both Boston stations, they're going to be – somebody is going to suggest that the Pats are better off with Zappi or Hoyer than Mac Jones. It's just an asinine thing to say. Look, I've said it before. I'll say it again. He's never going to be your fantasy quarterback. He's always going to be your reality quarterback. He's going to give you chances to win games like he did yesterday – but he's got to clean up some of his turnovers, all right? That's all he's got to do. But now he's hurt, all right? There's going to be a lot of overreacting. Let's not forget, two years ago, the Pats were 2-1 and one with Cam Newton. And everybody thought, you know, after beating the Dolphins at home, big, tough loss on the road at Seattle, but they were right there at the end. You know, they beat the Raiders at home. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, this Pats team, we're back. You know, we're going to compete in the division. Um, that Cam Newton season ended up being a nightmare. 
All right. Cam Newton, at the end of it, that year, couldn't hit water on an out route if, he, if it was falling out of a boat. You know, like, he, he couldn't do anything. He was throwing ground balls to Matt Lacoste and, you know, Nikhil Hare. I mean, that offense was inept. What I saw yesterday out of the Patriots offense was an offense with potential, but an offense with an execution problem, with a consistency problem. I think despite turning the ball over four times, that might have been the most potent we've seen the Patriots offense be in three games this season, their ability to move the ball. So it's a consistency problem. People are going to tell you that Mac Jones sucks, that the Pats are done, that we're roasted. Um, and maybe we are. We're, like I said, we're in trouble because Jones is hurt. But I think there is still an opportunity for them uh, if they can get Jones back. If he's, maybe he's not as hurt as we thought he was. Maybe in these next few games against a softer schedule, they could, um, they could make up some ground. But we're certainly in trouble. But it's not because we lost the game. It's because we lost the quarterback. Um, I mean, last time I saw Brian Hoyer start a game. Look, I love Brian Hoyer. You're a great dude. But last time I saw Brian Hoyer start an NFL game, uh, they, or he, didn't know how many timeouts he had. He took a sack. He threw an interception uh, in the red zone. I mean, he did all the things that people are saying Mac Jones did yesterday and that Mac Jones did do yesterday. Brian Hoyer did that. That was two years ago. It's been two years since he played a meaningful NFL down. All right, so let's not pretend that we're better off uh, with Jones being hurt. All right, that wraps up my three up, three down. Um, one thing I do want to just say before I close is congratulations to Albert Pujols for hitting his 700th home run in Major League Baseball. It's a great moment for the sport. Um, truly one of the gentlemen of the game, and I'm incredibly uh, happy for him. We did see my Red Sox sign fall down. Um, so I guess that I already mentioned the next thing I was going to say, which is that um, my my Red Sox were eliminated yesterday, which is kind of funny. I thought they were eliminated on like, you know, July 15th, but I guess not. Um, I guess they they were still in it as of, uh, as of today or yesterday. Uh, but good news for the Sox. Aaron Judge didn't hit his 61st home run against them over the weekend. So I guess maybe we can walk away from that with a little bit of uh, positivity. All right, that's going to do it for the end of this special episode. We'll be back next week with another pod breaking down some more NFL and college football action, maybe some uh, hockey and basketball talk potentially as we get close to that season. Um, maybe not a lot of baseball talk till the offseason. The Red Sox are out, not sure. I'll definitely talk about the championship series and the World Series. Um, but for now, we're going to stick to football for a little bit, maybe some hockey, maybe some basketball, get things going as we head into the month of October coming up. appreciate you tuning in here on Facebook Live. If you're listening on audio, please subscribe to us there on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at HomeFieldPod. 
But again, we'll be back next week with another episode of Home Field Advantage. And until then, I hope you have a great rest of your week. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to also check out Filling Up with Kyle Diesel, Making Fire, and the Diego Daily News, some of the other programs developed on the Sportland USA Network. Home Field Advantage, The Morning Advantage, Making Fire, Filling Up, and Diego Daily News are presented by Sportland USA, and the opinions show them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.